This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. And a good Thursday morning. Welcome to Packer and Durham. Show 638, West Durham. Roddy Jones joins us for the three-hour tour this morning. And we got plenty to talk about. Uh, good morning there, sir. What's happening? Uh, good morning, Wes. This is about the time of the morning when I do the show with you where I wonder why I, why I didn't just drive up to Cartersville and, and sit next to you, sit my camera up right next to you. I mean, you got the internet out there could probably handle it, right? No question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we got plenty to go today. Um, Roddy is going to dive into this uh, off-season topic that we've wound ourselves through in the ACC, and that's quarterback play. We're going to get to that. Um, in fact, we're going to do it uh, in this 7 o'clock hour. Um, we're also going to get into a random topic here that I think you're going to enjoy. And in fact, some of you have already sent some gold back on social media regarding it, and we'll dive into that in just a second. Uh, we've got a few news items here, Roddy, to get into off the top. And let's start with the uh, returnees uh, to college basketball because last night at midnight was the deadline for players to either stay in the draft or withdraw and come back to their respective institutions or in the portal or whatever the case may be. And we had one stay and one go yesterday. Uh, The one who elected to stay in the draft was Duke's Trevor Keels. Uh, he elected to uh, stay in the draft. In fact, yesterday afternoon, he was part of a workout with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Keel's uh, incredibly difficult decision by all accounts. Uh, it was interesting to uh, kind of watch all this kind of come together uh, yesterday from a variety of different sources. Jeff Goodman was involved with it. John Rothstein. Um, several people were, uh, you know, crazy about it at the end of the day. But and nonetheless, Trevor Keels is elected to stay in the NBA draft, projected somewhere mid-first back. Uh, we'll hope uh, for the very best for Trevor Keels after one season at Duke. The youngster that comes back, now this is one that, that might be a little interesting. Isaiah Wong is returning to the University of Miami. The thing about it is, is I'm not sure how many people realize, Roddy, that Isaiah Wong was still going through that draft process until yesterday about noon when right. he announced. But Isaiah Wong is coming back to the University of Miami. So if you go back and count it up here, yeah, there's some guys that have left. There's no doubt about that. Darion Sebron of NC State has stayed in the draft. Terquavion Smith, though, however, has come back to school. So two of the more electric scores in the ACC, Terquavion Smith and Isaiah Wong, have elected to stay in school. Now, I'm not into percentages, and I'm not into to leveraging theories here, but, Roddy, it seems more players are going to come back to college basketball than maybe would have in previous years. Yeah, and you just you just wonder how much NIL plays into that. We, there's so much mm-hmm. talk around it, and it can often be negative. But when you look at what's going on with, let's say, Oscar Shibway at Kentucky coming back, uh, Armando Bacon, who, by the way, is living his best life. I mean, he's out there on the Outer Banks set. He's he's at baseball games. He's just living it up. There will never be a better year in his life. Well, hopefully there's, there's, there's many great years to come. But he's about to have one of the best years of his life in North Carolina. 
Then you've got obviously Isaiah Wong, as you mentioned, and Terquavian Smith at NC State. I, you know, in a lot of ways, while there's negative uh, narrative swirling around NIL, and it does need to be corrected in some ways, uh, it's done a lot of good for especially college basketball because some of those guys on the fringes are deciding to come back. And as you said, we hope we wish for the best for Trevor Keels. He's a guy from a skill set standpoint that somebody's probably going to take a flyer on, you would guess in that first round, which if you get that grade, you, you absolutely go. Um, but for everybody else who's getting players back, particularly Isaiah Wong at Miami coming off that Elite Eight run, I mean, it's absolutely massive for the Hurricanes to get a guy like that back. Adam, uh, with Nigel Pack, who's uh, transferred over. So it'll be really interesting to see what Jim Laranaga and his, uh, his crew do this year. All right, so there's the basketball news from last night, and that will – for the most part, uh, round out rosters for the upcoming college season, although I don't think there's any givens until we get to about August. Here is the other news that has developed overnight. Uh, Boston College has officially now announced Blake James as their next athletic director. James, of course, who was most recently at the University of Miami, will start on June 1st at Chestnut Hill. He is the William B. Campbell Director of Athletics, and endowed position at, the, at Boston College. And there's no question that this familiar face, I think, will certainly help calm the waters of BC, which after Martin Jarman for three years and Pat Kraft for two, had a little bit of volatility with it, Roddy, in the athletic directorship. Yeah, it's, it's the best kind of volatility because you're hiring great people who, who, are, who are going to be candidates for other jobs. But Blake James coming in, I mean, he's a guy who, who did a lot of good things at the University of Miami, obviously knows the lay of the land in the ACC, knows how to win at a place that that can have some challenges from a navigation standpoint, from a school standpoint, uh, being a private school down there in Miami. So I think Blake James, uh, with with his, his uh, respectedness in the league, the fact that he knows his way around, you're not going to have to get him up to speed. He's been an experienced athletic director in this league, obviously. Um, hopefully, hopefully he stays past his time of, of being recruited to another position because that's what happens when you're the athletic director at BC. But uh, I, when I heard this news, I was elated for Blake James, elated for Boston College because uh, it's yeah. one of those places that, uh, that has done a, a lot of good in the league. And obviously, it's produced some uh, some big time athletic director talent. Yeah, no doubt about that. The other aspect about this too is uh, there's one report out there that any Blake James buyout for another job requires a payment of about five million dollars to Boston College. So, Ooh. Father uh, Leahy and the people at BC trying now to uh, make sure that uh, they don't have an athletic director that uh, that does the the hit and run, if you will, from a tenure standpoint. So, good move for BC. <laughs> And apparently Louisville has come to the end of the road and is going to stay put with Josh Hurd. Uh, Pat Forty is the first to report, and since then sources have told ESPN uh, last night that Josh Hurd is going to be elevated to the full-time athletic director. He'd been the interim athletic director since Vince Tyre uh, left that position back in the fall in a weird 72 hours of uh, – athletic director merry-go-round, if you will, in the ACC. But by all accounts, Josh Hurd has done a great job in this uh, in this interim status, Roddy, including the hire of Kenny Payne as the head basketball coach. Yeah, it's, it's tough to come in in an interim status period and then having to deal with everything he dealt with during basketball season, 
hiring Kenny Payne, um, it, it seemed like he was going to be one of the front runners for the job. So I think it provides Louisville with some stability. As you said, the Vince Tyree uh, saga, if you will, was really weird. It was a weird period of time. And, and for an athletic department that's had some very weird periods of time. So hopefully Josh Hurd comes in, steadies the waters, and, and provides some stability there. Uh, but when, you, when you're a guy that makes maybe the most important hire in that athletic department as the head basketball coach, feel like that gave him an inside track to go ahead and stay, having been the guy yep. uh, to go ahead and hand the, the keys over to Kenny Payne. So congratulations to Josh Hurd if it does indeed happen, as it's reported. Um, and congratulations to the University of Louisville for finally getting to a place where it seems like things are going to calm down. Yep, no doubt about that. So uh, Louisville uh, apparently has their guy. BC has their guy. And we're all set to roll from an athletic directorship in the ACC. A uh, couple of other coaching transitions here, and this was uh, announced, I think, late Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Monty Lee will not be retained as Clemson's baseball coach. Uh, he was let go after five seasons at Clemson. So Graham Neff's first move as the Tigers athletic director from a coaching perspective is to look for the new baseball coach at Clemson. Of course, there's no doubt from Bill Wilhelm through Jack Leggett and on, Clemson's got an incredible baseball tradition, so there'll be plenty of suitors, and I think Graham Neff will uh, will certainly reap the benefit of some of that in terms of the next Clemson baseball coach. Uh, speaking of baseball coaches, that highlights our show today. Uh, Brian O'Connor of Virginia is going to join us at 8.30. Of course, the Cavaliers are at East Carolina as part of the regional there that features Coppin State, and the Cavaliers draw Coastal Carolina in the, uh, in the opening round of that particular bracket. He's at 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.15 in the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, Danny Hall will be here from Georgia Tech. They're obviously in the Knoxville Regional with the number one overall seed, Tennessee. Uh, Georgia Tech meets Campbell. Roddy, who you saw, what, last weekend in the Big South Championship, yep. right? Uh, with Roy Philpott. Yes. So we'll talk to Danny Hall. That's a stern <laughs> test, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a Campbell team that has gone to four straight regionals. We'll talk a little bit more about the regional uh, a little bit later on. But Campbell is one of those mid-major teams that knows that they belong. and They are really talented. Yeah. And Link Jarrett. We're going to give Link Jarrett a little uh, – well, you know, he's going to Statesboro to the Georgia Southern Regional. Notre Dame meets Texas Tech in Statesboro. And uh, – you know, the, the the real disappointment for Link is Snookies is closed, right? He won't be able to get the breakfast-lunch combo at Snookies there in Statesboro. It, 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 I know. That's, it's a real shame. It's probably the, the crime of the entire tournament. Have you heard about this, uh, this hotel shortage in Statesboro? You know, I was batting back and forth with people about where regionals were going to be and all this stuff. I tried to tell people. There's nowhere to stay in Statesboro. Reportedly, you've got teams that are staying in Savannah. UNCG, I think, has to stay in Savannah, which is like an hour and 15 minutes away from Statesboro. They're going to have to bus in every day because the hotels are booked. I mean, completely booked up. So uh, I hope Notre Dame is staying in Statesboro proper. You're right. Snooki's being closed. It's a real shame. Wait a second. You mean they couldn't stay near Clifton's and Metter? You, Statesboro didn't want to sign up to stay in Metter at the Clifton's. Look, man, I, I don't. I didn't get the details on exactly where uh, people could and couldn't stay. I just heard the reports that UNCG is going to have to stay 
in uh, in states in in Savannah. Although uh, to Georgia okay. Southern's credit, they did offer dorms, so we may have to ask Link Jarrett if they had to stay in dorms as well. Um, we'll have to get this all cleared up because Statesboro, you and I have been there num- numerous times. There is absolutely nothing yep. between Macon and Statesboro. There's also nothing between Statesboro and Savannah. So uh, it's no except surprise. Matter. You got that, matter. Uh, Don't ex- sell ex- matter oh, short. Yep. yep. Okay. Don't okay. sell yep. matter I'm short. I'm selling matter a little short. Better. Here. Little, sh- little short here. Hey. <laughs> it's better in matter, Roddy. You know what the sign says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know okay. what the sign says. I do know what the sign says. And their All one right. hotel, I'm sure, is packed to the gills. <laughs> All right. Here's the other element. I don't know if you've seen the video of this of social media, but today we're going to spin off a video of Steph Curry walking from a parking lot with his golf clubs regripped. He'd, he'd evidently gone to a golf place and gotten his clubs regripped. God bless him. What a man. Right ahead of the NBA Finals, I'm going to get my clubs regripped. That's exactly right. So he's walking through, and it brought to mind this question. What's the most random place you've seen your favorite ACC star or coach? Okay? We put it on social media. We've gotten some terrific responses. We'd love your phone calls at 844-SAY-ACCN this morning. So based on Steph Curry walking through the parking lot and somebody capturing on social media, him walking through carrying not a bag, he's just carrying his clubs in his hand and they're all re-gripped. You can tell they're shiny and everything. His golf clubs, he's ready for when the finals are over. What is the most random place you've seen your head coach or star in the ACC? We'll get to your calls. Your tweets are welcomed. Hashtag Packer and Durham. You can tag me, tag... ACC Network, whatever. We've already gotten a few that are just priceless. Old Roy's on the list now. DT's on the list. Who knew DT needed some home improvement? And there was never a doubt Cremens was going to be spotted at random places. Roddy Jones is in. Thursday's Packer and Durham is underway. We're back after this on ACC Network. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Welcome back. Packer and Durham on a Thursday. Uh, Mark continues. He's wrapping up Italy. Packer's wrapping it up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think think we're coming to a close. Uh, Producer Emeritus Drew Brooks uh, was texting with Pack yesterday. Um, And Packer's triumphant return to this program occurs on Monday, Roddy. Just so you know. Be aware. Monday. Wow. The opening segment of Monday's show could be, you know, one of those things. So, I feel like it. I feel like it should just be Pack going through Pack's Instagram feed of the the things that he did in Italy. Some of the videos that I've seen. Number one, Wes, we talk about this all the time. Number one, you can't hide money. I mean, pulling up to some of those places cannot you can't hide, hide money. You really can't. Can't hide it. Mm-mm. Number two, uh, mm. I'm surprised Pack's ever coming back because he looks like he's living his best life over there. Well, here's the other thing, and I don't know that I've told you this story, but Drew will validate this, even if we have to put him on the air. <laughs> he left this show. Packer left this show two weeks ago yet tomorrow saying, when the plane takes off, I'm getting off the grid. <laughs> 
his Twitter feed and, and his on, Instagram feed would would beg to differ a little bit on the off the grid part. Roddy, Roddy, he's been on the Instagram. He doesn't use Instagram. <laughs> he goes to flipping Italy, and all of a sudden, he's like a travel and leisure magazine correspondent. Okay, true. that's number one. He's an influencer. Number, he's a travel influencer. Uh, total influencer, right? And then you know, then he gets on Twitter. And it's him and Mrs. P and red wine and pasta and all this other jazz. It's just, it's insanity. The whole thing's insanity, but that's Monday's show. All right, back to the task at hand. Where have you seen your favorite, most random place you've seen your favorite ACC coach, maybe even star? Um, and in in the case of some Y'all have gone to the Wayback Machine, and we're looking for phone calls, too, at 844-SAY-ACCN. Um, by the way, half credit goes to Joe Giglio and Joe Obvious because the week of Mike Krzyzewski's final game, they kind of took this topic and ran with, name the random place you've seen Mike Krzyzewski when he's been head coach at Duke. And I heard everything from Home Depot to pushing his trash to the curb. So it was classic <laughs> stuff. So, um all right, let's get to what we've seen so far. Uh, but wait, I, there's one thing I do want to examine here. You played for a very interesting uh, head coach in the ACC, and Paul Johnson. Now, I did. Mm-hmm. You know that he and I. You know we're all that we're now friends. You were playing for him, but uh, he and I would go eat lunch some places sometimes, and people would be like, "There's no way that's Paul Johnson." So. <laughs> Is there anything in particular about during your playing days that was random about places you'd see Paul Johnson or somebody would tell you they saw him? Well, yeah. So there have been a number of of Coach Johnson sightings at concerts, and, and apparently one of them was a Drake concert. I don't. I've not seen photo evidence of this. I've not. Uh, I've not independently verified it. Um, I do believe that it had something to do with either a recruit or somebody he was trying to see. I don't know. But uh, Paul Johnson, apparently a big concert goer um, and uh, and ended up at a Drake concert. I will say, though, living in Atlanta, I have seen a lot of random people at different places, but none more frequent than Waffle House. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of people at Waffle House. I've seen Calvin Johnson at a Waffle House. This is, you know. When 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 the uh, after the Eagles go to sleep and the crow and the uh, and the owls are out, this is late night stuff here. Um, seen seen numerous Hawks players at Waffle House, including Marvin Williams, who I saw out uh, somewhere, and then at the Waffle House. So uh, Waffle House seems to be the the meeting place of of uh, of a lot of random people. And then of course you see Jeff Collins at Waffle House all the time. So wait a second, hold on. <laughs> so. If you were to rank like celebrities at Waffle House, mm-hmm. it can't be like Calvin Johnson, Marvin Williams. It's got to get better than that, right? They, I mean, this that's random. Waffle Whoa. House is definitely random. It is. I'm, I'm a you know we're sports people, so it doesn't get much better than Calvin. Although it would have been sure. better if I you know if I was like a fan and didn't know Calvin a little bit. Uh, so. In terms of Waffle House, I think that's as good as it gets. I kind of, you know, kind of, I kind of forget. Although I did see Adam Driver once at a Irish pub at an Irish pub during a soccer match 
Uh, we went to uh, Fado's and Buckhead, and Adam Driver was there. This is before he was Adam Driver, though. Like, he wasn't quite Adam okay. Driver yet. I guess his name was still Adam yeah. Driver, but he wasn't quite Adam Driver yet. I didn't know who he was at the time. But but somebody's like, that's Adam Driver. And then years later, I was like, oh, cool, I saw Adam Driver. All right. Paul Johnson at a Drake concert. Now, I will I will confirm that he actually walked on stage at a Kenny Chesney concert with Mike Smith, who was yep. then the coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So that did happen. Yep. I do know that. But in terms of the Drake concert, we may need some confirmation there. Um, let's do this part. Oh, what, Roddy, can you confirm this? Uh, the sombrero oh, at the yeah. El Paso airport. The, the great people at the Sun Bowl provided us with this uh, this unforgettable moment. You get off the plane in El Paso. They've got the mariachi band. They stick a sombrero on your head coach. And not only do they sing to him, but in Paul Johnson's case, he joined in the singing. It was probably the most <laughs> uncomfortable I've ever seen Coach Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, – and let me just say this. Bernie Olivas and the people at the Sun Bowl – they are as good as it gets, but that moment right there is gold. That moment featuring ACC yes. coaches where they put the sombrero on, it's gold. And every coach does it. Don't act like they don't. They do, and every school gets a picture <laughs> of it. And it's awesome. Yep. Uh, all right, to. let's, let's go to the social media here. Let's start. Now, this is one. Um, Chuck Coates put this, sent this to us last night. Uh, Jim Valvano with Chuck at the at the Duke Children's Classic in the summer of 1983 at Crowsdale Country Club in Durham. Now that's pretty good, right there. That's pretty good. That's Jimmy really v, cool. That's really cool. Right after he won the national title, there you go. How about that? That's a good way to start. Um, now here comes here comes the randoms. All right. David Jones sent us a tweet at Scoreboard Radio. David says, I met David Thompson at the Lowe's Hardware in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. <laughs> that, wow. That's random. What was David that buying would be my next question. What, what does David need at the Lowe's, right? Uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. I mean, look, celebrities are people just like, I probably need a light bulb. That's what I'm going to say. He was up, he's changing a light bulb up at the top. Either that or he's getting a table saw to do some real work. There you go. A table saw. Nice call. Uh, Jeff Holly. Uh, one time Jeff Holly says, I got off an elevator at the Columbia Hilton and there stood Jack Leggett in full uniform and it wasn't even during the season. So wait a second, <laughs> Jack Leggett is wandering so, around the Columbia Hilton in full uniform, Roddy. So there's a lot. Of, I got a lot of questions about that one. Uh, number one, the full uniform thing not in season. I guess if you're if you're the Clemson head coach and you're in Columbia, you just walk around in full uniform to let people know. And, and look, Clemson was probably right. great at the time. I have no idea if South Carolina was or not. But uh, but if you're in Columbia, why not just go full uniform? Baseball coaches wearing their uniforms, you know, something that they've held on to since the beginning of time. So maybe it's where he felt most comfortable when he was in Columbia. Yeah. Um, Mike Rutherford at Card Chronicle just sends us a picture. Josh Pastor. 
<laughs> now, hold on. That actually that, looks. That kind of, Wes, that, that looks like Georgia Tech, honestly. Like, it looks it like Georgia Tech. It's not very random. It's not very random. But, but the picture is just like, what? There's a basket of bananas fantastic. and water. And what do we got? You know, it does I look mean, it like, looks a, like the nutrition like station of, in McCain. It does. It looks like. Yeah, Leah Thomas getting a little love this morning for the nutrition area in basketball. There we go. Exactly. But I mean, exactly. it was funny he submitted that. That was a, that was a scream. Uh, and Josh, will, it is if Josh is watching. He's going to call and defend himself, Roddy. You know that's going to happen, right? He's going to jump after you and me for saying, "Why'd you run a picture of just me standing there?" That's well, he's sitting in. Which 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 would be great. I would like to point out that picture is pre mutton chops. Like that is there's no sideburns there. Oh yeah. So uh, no. we can we no. can sort of figure out we can sort of carbon date the picture based on the hair. Hair's a little bit shorter. <laughs> there's no there's no sideburns. I'm going to say this is circa, I don't know, 2015, 16? That might be right. That might be right. Um, okay. Uh, Rich sent us one on Twitter. He said, several years ago, sitting on the beach at Pauly's Island, and the now head basketball coach of UNC, Hubert Davis, set up camp right beside us. Well, there you go. That's what we're talking about. Random sightings. That's so and you know, let's go the, to the uh, – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the basketball player side of this, I've always been fascinated with like seeing basketball players in the wild, so like not in, you know, in, in the athletic department or, or on the court uh, because they're, they're, they're giant people. And so there's nowhere you can hide. Like a, a, a you know, baseball coach or football coach is, you know, usually or somewhere in the range of kind of the average height. Uh, but a basketball mm-hmm. player – gets like multiple looks and Hubert Davis is one of those where I'm sure people were like, okay, that's that guy's somebody. And you ask around. And even if you don't know who they are, you quickly figure it out because they're giant. Yeah. Um, let me see. Ellen is next around a campfire in Alaska with Roy Williams, 1999. I'll look for a photo. Yeah, I um, love that photo. This, this this is why this has been beautiful. I mean, you just get these random like, where did you have your moment? Um, Kevin King finishes up this part of the segment with us, and we're going to get to your phone calls at eight four four say ACCN. Kevin King says Bobby Crimmins at the Indianapolis airport, and he got a phone call from Mark Price while we were waiting for a flight. <laughs> there you go, double down. I mean. <laughs> Kind of like you were both. That, that's like exactly you get you get you get checked you get to check off both of those. And for a Georgia Tech fan, I'm not sure it gets any better than seeing Bobby Crimmins, who gets a call from Mark Price. I mean, that's uh, it's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty much the, as high as it gets in terms of Georgia Tech basketball. Unless he was on a Facetime with like Lethal Weapon three, that might top it because you get three of them. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, we'll get to more of these. Don't forget, you can submit them on Twitter. Uh, use the hashtag Packer and Durham, tag ACC Network. Most random spot you've seen your favorite ACC coach or star uh, here today. Uh, coming up, this quarterback thing is going to be a thing in the ACC. Uh, Roddy's got tiers. We got tiers of quarterbacks, not rankings. That rankings just get you in trouble in June, but we're going to talk about tiers when we continue after this on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham.
you hired uh, Nick Saban and, and, and Jimbo Fisher. I, I, I'm sure you've got a, you've had a good uh, front row seat to uh, all of the uh, theatrics lately. Yeah, uh, Paul, like we were discussing, uh, I'm not going to get in between two hillbillies fighting uh, from West Virginia. That's, that's a no-win situation. <laughs> I, look, I'm just going to tell you, Scott, Scott Woodward, Scott Woodward just gave me the quote of the week, man. I'm done. I, I didn't need to hear anything else after that yesterday, Roddy. Honestly, we needed that last week when all this started. Like somebody just saying, sending out a tweet saying, hey, don't get in between two hillbillies fighting. Which made the whole thing even more interesting because, like, how many coaches do you get from the state of West Virginia, especially that make it to that level? And uh, it was Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. So that's fantastic, Scott yeah, Woodward. Mike, Great stuff. Mike drops. Scott Woodward's got Brian Kelly as his football coach. And yet the Brian Kelly shows up. You know, as LSU's new head coach at the SEC spring meetings, and he is way on the undercard compared to, uh, you know, the fact that Saban passes Jimbo in, a, in the uh, freaking lobby wearing something and didn't look at each other, and that makes headlines. But nonetheless, I thought that was a perfect yeah. quote from Scott Woodward. We welcome you back. Packer and Durham, Roddy Jones is here. Roddy's got baseball all weekend, by the way. He and Mike Cousins will have coverage of the yeah. Louisville Regional for you. So be aware of that, uh, yeah. one of the 16 regionals across the uh, ESPN platforms and family of networks, including the very popular Squeeze Play, which is one of my favorite pieces oh. of this entire weekend is Squeeze Play. I love the way Matt Schick anchors and they jump around regional to regional and catch all the big hits and runs and things like that. So I'm excited for that as well. Look, I'm, I'm going to be a company man right now, Wes, and I wouldn't do this. this I, am, I am not being pressured to do this. This is unsolicited. Squeeze Play is one of the best pieces of content I think this company does. It is fantastic because you get Mike Rooney, yep. Chris Budden, Matt Schick, Chris Burke that are – it's basically a whip-around show. There's 16 regionals, so there's 16 games going on at a time sometimes. They keep you up to date on what's going on in each one. It's great during weather yep. delays. If your favorite team is out, you flip it over, you get to see it. Runes is great. I mean, it is, it is, it's awesome. I have it on constantly when yep. we're not doing a game, and sometimes even when we are doing a game, if it gets out of hand. Yeah, why not? That's good. All right, let's dive into a topic that is not going to go away until week one of college football, and it may not go away after that. David Hale ranked the top quarterbacks in college football. He went 131 to 1. Uh, recently, and there's a lot of tiers in this, Roddy, and tiers are subjective just like rankings are, okay? I don't know if 67 is better or 62 is better than 67 or 47 is better than 37, okay? But the idea here is we got to try and, and quadrant off some of this, I guess. Uh, what do you think we're dealing with here in terms of the potential at the top of this league and the middle of this league. Now, we all agree the ACC's the best league in quarterback play for the upcoming season, assuming everybody stays healthy. Uh, shameless plug, Sam Hartman on the show tomorrow. Um, but do we have different levels that we need to be mindful of as we work our way through the summer? Yeah, it's, it's first off, David Hale doing something like this is very David Hale, you know, going through an exercise where you put all 131 uh, teams in the category. By the way, I didn't know we were up to 131 teams in college football. So I did learn some. I did learn that. 
from the uh, fr- from the article. Um, but going through and putting these quarterbacks in tiers is really a thankless task. I, I think this list, though, this grouping shows just how many really, really top-end quarterbacks are in this league because you go down and you're going to get to six, seven, eight ACC quarterbacks in the top half of his tiers, and not all of them are ranked purely on, all right, this guy is better, this tier is better than this tier. Some of it is just like, hey, these guys have been hurt over the course of, his, of their careers, and if they stay healthy, then they could they could really show uh, show how much or how good they can be. They can really move up in terms mm-hmm. of uh, in terms of recognition in the country. Phil Dracovic being in that tier. Um, there's some guys where it's like, hey, this guy hasn't been the full time starter, or, or he's he's a grizzled veteran that with a full season uh, could really elevate himself. Jordan Travis being in that that sort of tier. So. I do think it is it is very interesting, but the number of quarterbacks that you get at the top, Devin Leary, Tyler Van Dyke, Malik Cunningham being the three that appear the earliest, I think it goes to show you that the top part of this league is is just just below the very top of the uh, of the national quarterback play behind a CJ Stroud, a Bryce Young, and a Caleb Williams, if you think highly about what he did last year at Oklahoma. All right, so here's where Hale goes. The Heisman waiting room features Leary and Van Dyke, along with Cam Rising of Utah. The next tier, Roddy, is the one that fascinates me. Um, it's called the pretty, pretty good players, and it's tier three. And the ACC guys on there are Armstrong, Cunningham, Hartman. Um, and then there's not another one until the tier six that he created called Just Stay Healthy. Now, here's Armstrong, Cunningham, and Hartman. So essentially, he's rolling the top five in as Leary, Van Dyke, Armstrong, Cunningham, Hartman. Um, you think that's right? You think that's good? Yeah, I, I think I think there's very little debate on who the top five guys are in this league right now. With Phil Dracovic mm-hmm. kind of being on the outside looking in because of injury. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a, I, if I if I had one quip with David Hale, it would be I would have Malik Cunningham in that Heisman waiting room. The, the question is going to be, you know, does he have a legitimate shot to win it? And the answer would be it depends on how much right. Louisville wins. Um, but you're talking about a guy that that only had six turnovers all last year, had a, had over 30 touchdowns, uh, and put up massive numbers. And by the way, we saw him against Duke last year, and he's he's still running. Uh, in that game, so I, I'd have I'd have Malik Cunningham a little higher, but like we're splitting hairs here. So yeah, I think ultimately in this thankless task, David Hale uh, he he did a good job with those top five. Okay, I want to go to tier six here, the just stay healthy, and I think he's got a valid point here. Look, I, I think we're all excited to see what Keaton Slovis will do at Pittsburgh, whether it's Keaton Slovis or Nick Patty. Personally, I think it'll end up being Keaton Slovis, but that's me. Phil Jerkovic, though, is the one who, look, if you'd asked me a year ago, Phil Jerkovic was going to the NFL after last year, right? I mean, if he doesn't get hurt against UMass, Roddy, he's got a chance to have a huge year from a statistical standpoint. They potentially have a huge year as a football team. Um, And it's kind of a freak injury, to be honest. That being said, it's created this – little bit of doubt about where Djokovic is. And I find that Djokovic and Slovis are on this same path, at least in the month of June. I don't know that they'll be there in October, but right now they're on the same path. 
Yeah, the, uh, on the Phil Dracovic side, the, the shame of Phil Dracovic at Boston College has been that we haven't seen him healthy for a full season. Remember, a couple of years ago, I mean, he hurt his shoulder, what, halfway through that season and, and really right. fought through it for the back half of the year. And then last year, two games in, hurts his hand. It was the second game, right? That was it was the second game, or yep. was it the first? UMass. Yep, UMass. Second yeah. Game. So, so two games in, he hurts his hand, and even when he comes back, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever had a hand injury. I had a wrist injury, and and let me tell you, when you come back, it takes a long time to get your grip strength back. And when you're a quarterback tasked with holding on and throwing a football, especially as the weather gets colder where that grip strength comes even more into it. I mean, it's just, it's it's brutal. And I don't think it was talked about enough last year to really contextualize what he was doing, what he was able to do, especially when he played really well in the back half of last year. So uh, Phil Dracovic especially, if you can get him healthy for a full year, I mean, I think we could see some really exciting things, even behind an offensive line at Boston College. It's going to be the least experience that they've had in the last, I don't know, three or four years. So uh, the, 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 the Phil Dracovic part of it, I'm really interested to see this year. I mean, Keaton Slovis, I mean, Keaton Slovis was the freshman of the year in, in 2019 at USC. He was a first-team All-Pac-12 quarterback in 2020. Now, I know they played like three games, but still he played really well in the limited amount of time that he played in 2020 to the point where he was first-team All-Pac-12. And then last year, his coach mm-hmm. gets fired – Early in the season, he's coming off of a year where he loses. Amon Ross St. Brown, Drake London goes down last year. He's banged up. The whole thing around him was just a dumpster fire. So uh, so I give Keaton Slovis a little bit more credit than I think a lot of people do. It's hard to be a good quarterback when nothing around you is going right and everything's unstable. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated to see if he wins that pit job and how well he plays. Well, the other part, too, is the Slovis situation now – Roddy, he'll be graded down because Jordan Addison took off in the portal. Okay? Um, That's not necessarily fair either. There's a change in offensive coordinator. You know Frank – we talked to Frank Signetti at length last year a couple times when we had Boston College. Frank Signetti's a terrific offensive coach. Uh, I think he and Keaton Slovis will have a good relationship. It's going to be really interesting to watch and see how Pitt mixes and matches this. I get the unknown about Slovis, but the markdown because – Addison is not there. That's real. A lot of people are going to do that. I, to me, the one that I find the head scratcher in this, and you mentioned Cunningham and that group at Tier 3, I'll tell you this, Jordan Travis at Tier 9 is way low on my list. <laughs> I, I think Jordan Travis could be electric in Tallahassee this year, uh, especially with all the things you saw in the spring, the number of people coming back. I think in some ways people are sleeping on Florida State because we just haven't seen it in the last three and a half years. But yet there's a lot of artillery, especially on the offensive side of the ball, for him to play with. I agree with you. Some some of, I think, the reason that he's down at Tier 9 is because I mean, we talked about Tier 6. Those are guys that, that are kind of just stay healthy. Well, Tier 7 was, you might not have noticed, but they're pretty good is what it was titled. And I don't think Jordan Travis really fits – that mold. He is he is good, absolutely. But is he he didn't put up the numbers of a Peyton Thorne or a Talia Tungavailoa or an Adrian Martinez at Nebraska who's now at Kansas State. So so just the way that it was structured, I think pushed him down a little bit. Eight was a group of five, uh, a group of five tier. 
And so he ends up in that in that nine tier. Now I do I agree with you. I think there's a couple of things there. Uh, Jordan Travis is coming into this year not looking over his shoulder, and we aren't talking right. about the Florida State quarterback job as if he's going to be supplanted. So I think that's big for his development. I think that's big for his offseason. Uh, and then secondly, that was a team that figured out how to run the football really well with Sean Corbin, Sean Ward, and then Jordan Travis. That offensive line has really gotten better. They got a bunch of transfers in at receiver to go along with a guy like Malik McLean that didn't really uh, explode the way we expected him to last year. I think Florida State set up for a lot of success. And I'm, I'm really bullish on the Seminoles this year. Um, and, and I want to I want to touch on one thing you said about Pitt too. Obviously, Jordan Travis leaving is huge. Or excuse me, Jordan Addison leaving is huge for Pitt. But it's an offense that's still set up for a lot of success with Vincent Davis and Izzy Abandikina back at running back. They've got the, the vast majority of that offensive line back, and the, the receiving core around Jordan Addison. While there wasn't a star like Addison was, right. and he was certainly the thing that made them go with Gavin Bartholomew, Jared Wayne. And a couple of transfers. I think they got a shot to be pretty good still. So yeah, the national narrative is going to be Jordan Travis is or Jordan Addison is gone. It's going to be tough for Pitt. I think that Pitt offense is still going to be really good. All right, I want to back down uh, real quick here on the way out. The one battle Hale cited was the Drake May Jacoby Criswell situation at Carolina. We all recognize that. We're we're going to talk about that one all the way through. However, tier eleven. And for DJ Uyunglele to be in Tier 11 with Jeff Sims, maybe this is the year they put it all together. I mean, that kind of says all you need to say at some point about kind of where those two particular players are. And I think it's two different two different decks of cards they're working with, too. Yeah, and, and if you follow the national landscape, I thought he nailed this tier perfectly. You got Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer, who's now at Oregon. You got Graham Mertz at Wisconsin, who one week looked like a Heisman Trophy winner and the next week looked like he couldn't throw it from me to you if we were standing next to each other in the booth. And then you got DJ Uyunglele and Jeff Sims, tantalizing talent, but haven't quite put it all together yet. But it has their fan base yeah. constantly saying, maybe this is the year. Um, so I thought that one was fascinating. Yeah. All right. That's the tears from David Hale. We'll get your calls as well on this at 844 844- Say A-C-C-N. When we come back, uh, in case you missed our visit with the head coach of the national champions in women's lacrosse, Jenny Levy of North Carolina, next on Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham on a Thursday, show 638 with Roddy Jones here until 10 o'clock. Uh, Brian O'Connor coming up at 8.30, and then Danny Hall, Link Jarrett in the 9 o'clock hour as we kind of lean in on some of these baseball regional previews. But first, in case you missed it, uh, from Tuesday, North Carolina lacrosse coach Jenny Levy joined us on the heels, pardon the pun, of another national championship (laughs) for Carolina. But we started the visit by asking Jenny, did you have to hold your breath one last time when Charlotte North had the ball and one final shot and a chance to tie in case you missed it. Well, first of all, Charlotte North's an incredible player, um, just an electric offensive player that demonstrates you know, new limits to the game. Um, but we also have Emma Trenchard on her and Taylor Marino in the cage. So yeah. 
Um, she's got to get through two superhero layers that we have, um, Emma and Taylor, and then obviously the rest of our defense. But, yeah, you do hold your breath when she has the ball because she's so dynamic and can make so many things happen on the field. Um, when I saw that last shot not make it to the back of the cage, I was really happy. Yeah, I want to I want to follow up quickly here, Drew. On I want to follow up on this yeah, on this thought, Jenny. I said yesterday, um, I, I thought that game, and granted, you guys were victorious and and richly deserving of a national championship. I thought that game in particular showcased what this sport has been trying to do for the last couple three years, and it's continuing to ascend. And we've talked with you about the sport and its rise. But for that game to be shown on that stage in front of that crowd, 48 hours later, does it feel like it was a sport changing or an elevating of women's lacrosse in this country? We hope so. I think the whole season um, has has been, there's just been a lot of excitement around around the sport. I know when we played up at Boston College in regular season, there were 6,000 people that came out for a regular season game. Um, you know, all of these games have been really well attended this season. I think it's a combination of not COVID ending because obviously we're still struggling as a as a world with with this pandemic. But um, people are excited to come out um, and watch. You know, get back out with their families to do things that are fun. Um, watching women's lacrosse. I think we continually need to clean up our rules and streamline it. But to be at Homewood Field with 8,500 plus people. Um, the historic Homewood Field, where so many great games have taken place um, on the men's side, um, to have that packed on ESPN for the first time. Can't wait to see what the viewers, viewer numbers were from that. Hopefully we'll see them soon. Um, but I just think there's so much momentum right now for our sport and for our players, which is really exciting. Well, I'm proudly a prisoner of the moment, and I've said a couple times, Coach, over the last two days doing this show, that that was the greatest lacrosse game I've ever seen. Uh, considering what Wes just laid out with you know the platform and the sellout, considering the characters on this stage, yourself and Acacia included, and then the players, some all-time greats, considering the, the recent series history between you guys in BC and the past couple championship weekends, and then you guys getting over that hump. Uh, does that sound right to you? Like, where does this rank in games you've coached in terms of all the circumstances? Yeah, it, it does sound right. And the reason why it does is because, you know, it, it's no fun to have one team that just dominates everybody all the time. And, and you know, we have a healthy respect for Boston College and, and their players and their coaching staff and what they've accomplished um, over the past five or six years. And, you know, I, I love the rivalry. Um, it brings out the best in, in both teams and players. Um, and, you know, I think consistently, you know, having great rivalries that can showcase the game and its players at the highest level um, brings in a lot of fans and a lot of little girls who are looking up to these incredible student athletes and their talent, but also who they are off the field too. They, you know, we were at a dinner on, I think, Thursday night and, you know, this, this little, the restaurant owner said, hey, can my daughter come and say hi to your team? And we said, yeah, sure. And she's little. She was like first grade. And next thing we know, we had like a whole team waiting in the restaurant for our team. And they just wanted to come and get autographs. And, and I'm thinking, my guys just wanted to have dinner, but they stopped what they were doing and, and spent the time with these little guys to be the future of our sport. So there's a lot of great things happening. And so many people at the college level are contributing in all the different programs. 
it, it feels like um, this particular team of yours uh, set out to accomplish something, Jenny, that in the end they got to achieve. I mean, going undefeated, winning a national championship, uh, the long streak. People talked about the undefeated streak all the way through the season, stuff like that. Then you get to, you know, you get to Friday and it's in the balance now. I mean, that that's a real, that's a gut check deal, okay, in the fourth quarter. But what did you learn about your team this weekend that you already didn't know about this particular group? Um, not much. Um, I think, obviously, Friday's game was one of the most epic. I know it's an overused word, but... Um, it was an incredible game. You know, I think I thought we were going to make a run a little sooner than we did. Uh, but with seven minutes left, we started really to um, make some runs at the, at the last minute. And it just at some point, I know I know that they were tough. I know that they worked hard. I know that they have incredible like chemistry and character. But when your back's against the wall and you refuse to lose, how deep does it run? And you know, Friday's game was a really big game for a lot of our players just because we haven't, that this particular group hasn't gotten over the, that semifinal hump. Mm. There was a lot of emotion in that group um, in the, at that moment once the game was over. And credit Northwestern for an incredible game plan, and their kids played so well. And I know um, Kelly's super proud of the effort that they gave. I think they probably didn't want to watch yesterday because they thought they could have been there and, and won it as well. Um, but it's, you know, they are kids. There's actually no surprise. I knew what was in them. I knew um, we could come out of this weekend 2-0. and I think they did too. Um, they just had to prove it to themselves and trust themselves and jump and, and build their wings on the way down, as Anson says. So uh, they did that, and they finally got themselves to the place that they can look back on forever and be super proud. I'll tell you what, Roddy. Um, it is hard to measure the impact of Jenny Levy's senior class, 83-9, and nine, five years, four straight Final Fours, four straight ACC titles, but they cap it with the national championship. So they were able to write the full book, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's a, it's a storybook we- ending for a storied class. What a career that that class had. Um, so congratulations to them. Congratulations to Jenny Levy. Nine losses in five years. That's incredible. I think I lost nine games in one year uh, in college at some point. <laughs> Maybe not quite that many, but. Yeah, not quite. Uh, when we come back, we will dig in here to the baseball regionals. There's 16 of them. Roddy's got his favorites, uh, and most of them feature an ACC team. We'll talk about that and more next on Packer and Durham. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app. 